Chapter fourteen Mistress Diana is Unmaidenly Part two of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. But surely you could cease to be one, coaxingly. He did not trust himself to answer. I know you could. Please do. That is not all, he forced himself to say. There is worse. Is there? she asked wide-eyed. What else have you done, Mr. Carr? I once— Heaven, how hard it was to say! I once— Cheated at cards. It was out. Now she would turn from him in disgust. He shut his eyes in anticipation of her scorn, and his head turned away. Only once— came the soft voice, filled with awed admiration. His eyes flew open. Mademoiselle! She drooped her head mournfully. I am afraid I always cheat, she confessed. I had no idea twas so wicked, although Auntie gets so cross and vows she will not play with me. He could not help laughing. Tis not wicked in you, child. You do not play for money. Oh, did you? Yes, child. Then that was horrid of you, she agreed. He stood silent, fighting the longing to tell her the truth. But, but do not look so solemn, sir, the pleading voice went on. I am sure you must have had a very strong excuse. None. And now you are letting it spoil your life? she asked reproachfully. It does not wait for my permission, he answered bitterly. Ah, but what a pity! Must one moment's indiscretion interfere with all else in life? That is ridiculous. You have, what is the word, expiated? Oh, yes, that is it, expiated it. I know it. The past can never be undone, madam. That, of course, is true, she nodded with an air of a sage, but it can be forgotten. His hand flew out eagerly and dropped back to his side. It was hopeless. He could not tell her the truth and ask her to share his disgrace. He must bear it alone, and above all he must not whine. He had chosen to take Richard's blame and must abide by the consequences. It was not a burden to be cast off as soon as it became too heavy for him. It was forever, forever. He forced his mind to grasp that fact. Although his life must be alone against the world, his name would never be cleared. He could never ask this sweet child who sat before him with such a wistful, pleading look on her lovely face to wed him. He looked down at her somberly, telling him that she did not really care, that it was his own foolish imagination. Now she was speaking. He listened to the liquid voice that repeated, "'Could it not be forgotten?' "'No, mademoiselle. It will always be there.' "'To all intents and purposes, might it not be forgotten?' she persisted. "'It will always stand in the way, mademoiselle.' He supposed that mechanical voice was his own. Through his brain thrummed the thought, "'It is for Dick's sake, for Dick's sake, for Dick's sake you must be silent.' Resolutely he pulled himself together. "'It will stand in the way of what?' asked Diana. "'I can never ask a woman to be my wife,' he replied." Diana wantonly stripped a rose of its petals, letting each fragment leaf flutter slowly to the ground. "'I do not see why you cannot, sir. No woman would share my disgrace.' "'No?' "'No.' "'You seem very certain, Mr. Carr. Pray, have you asked the lady?' "'No, madam.' Carstairs was as white as she was red, but he was holding himself well in hand. "'Then—' the husky voice was very low—'then, why don't you?' The slim hand against the tree-trunk was clenched tightly, she observed. In his pale face the blue eyes burnt dark. "'Because, madam, t'were the action of a—of a—of a what, Mr. Carr? A cur, a scoundrel, a blackguard!' Another rose was sharing the fate of the first. "'I have heard it said that some women like curs and—and—and and, and scoundrels, even blackguards. 
remarked that provocative voice. Through her lashes, its owner watched my lord's knuckles gleam white against the tree-bark. "'Not the lady I love, madam.' "'Oh, but are you sure?' "'I am sure. She must marry a man whose honour is spotless, who is not a nameless outcast, and who lives not by dice and highway robbery.' He knew that the brown eyes were glowing and sparkling with unshed tears, but he kept his own turned inexorably the other way. There was no doubting now that she cared, and that she knew that he did also. He could not leave her to think that her love had been slighted. She must not be hurt, but made to understand that he could not declare his love. But how hard it was, but how hard it was, with her sorrowful gaze upon him and the pleading note in her voice. It was quivering now. "'Must she, sir?' "'Yes, madam.' "'But supposing—supposing supposing the lady did not care, supposing she loved you, and was willing to share your disgrace?' The ground at her feet was strewn with crimson petals, and all around and above her roses nodded and swayed. A tiny breeze was stirring her curls in the lace of her frock, but John would not allow himself to look, lest the temptation to catch her in his arms should prove too great for him. She was ready to give herself to him, to face anything, only to be with him. In the plainest language she offered herself to him, and he had to reject her. "'It is inconceivable that the lady would sacrifice herself in such a fashion, madam,' he said. "'Sacrifice?' she caught her breath. "'You call it that?' "'What else?' "'I—I—I do not think that you are very wise, Mr. Carr, nor that you understand women very well. She might not call it by that name.' "'It would make no difference what she called it, madam.' She would ruin her life, and that must never be. A white rose joined its fallen brethren, pulled to pieces by fingers that trembled pitifully. "'Mr. Carr, if the lady loved you, is it quite fair to her to say nothing?' There was a long silence, and then my lord lied bravely. "'I hope that she will in time forget me,' he said. Diana sat very still. No more roses were destroyed. The breeze wafted the fallen petals over her feet lightly, almost playfully. Somewhere in the hedge a bird was singing, a full-throated, sobbing plaint, and from all around came an incessant chirping and twittering. The sun set its bright rays all over the garden, bathing it in gold and happiness, but for the two in the plaisance the light had gone out, and the world was very black. "'I see,' whispered Diana at last. "'Poor lady!' "'I think it was a cursed day that saw me come into her life,' he groaned. "'Perhaps it was,' her hurt heart made her answer. He bowed his head. "'I can only hope that she will not think too hardly of me,' he said, very low, "'and that she will find it in her heart to be sorry for me also.' She rose and came up to him, her skirts brushing gently over the grass, holding out her hands imploringly. "'Mr. Carr!' He would not allow himself to look into the gold-flecked eyes. He must remember Dick, his brother, Dick!' In his hand he took the tips of her fingers, and, bowing, kissed them. Then he turned on his heel and strode swiftly away between the hedges towards the quiet woods, with a heart aflame with passion and with rebellion and impotent fury. He would go somewhere quite alone, and fight the devil that was prompting him to cry the truth aloud, and to throw aside his burden for love, forgetting duty. But Diana remained standing among the scattered flowers, very still, very cold, with a look of hopeless longing in her eyes and a great hurt. End of chapter 14, part 2. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.